welcome to death row. Like we always do about this time. Ha ha ha! I'm gonna fight your fucking ass! You don't got your playing touch butt with that dork in the park. Ah, uh, there's a little snake in the grass. Hey, I'm not surprised, motherfuckers. No fucking Jesus, people! I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody! Hey, pussy, are you still there? I'm back. Who the fuck is that guy? Break out the red panties. Well, rich baby. I would like to introduce. This is the MMA for Money Show, episode 31. We are fresh off a special episode done by at Don't Cope, Just Win, Mike Copenhaver, and the man himself, Mr. Primetime. MMA for money. They did a great WWE WrestleMania recap just recently, but that is not why we are here. We are here for a very, very special reason. We told you guys last week we were going to go over UFC 1, but you know what? We have an even bigger, bigger surprise than that. But let me give you a little breakdown of UFC 1. On November 12th, 1993, at the McNichols Sports Arena in Denver, Colorado, eight men set out to find out who was the ultimate fighting champion. It changed everything. No more secret death touch or key manipulation, just skill, strength, and the conditioning to implement them. Now, as we are on the cusp of possible 249 card in an undisclosed location with a card that's full at the last minute, we look back to where it all began. We are pleased to introduce to you one of those men. He's the founder of the Lion's Den. He is a UFC, Pride, WWF, TNA, New Japan Pro Wrestling veteran. He's the most dangerous man in the world. Ken Shamrock. Ken, how are you doing? I'm good, man. Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> Fuck yeah, Bob. You killed that. And before I completely pass it over, I talked about Mike a little bit. Mike, say hi to the people. Mike's here, too. Oh, dude, I'm a pleasure to be here, man. I'm stoked to have the legend, the greatest of all time in my eyes, Ken Shamrock here. And, uh, you know, basically uh, the godfather himself. Well, Ken, I want to just I want to thank you for coming on with us. You are our first big guest on this show, so thank you for breaking us in like that. How are you doing in these crazy, crazy times? Oh, just like everybody else, man, just trying to control the speed and uh, control the uh, everyday outlook, outlook, and and stay positive, man. Just just be, be just try to take one day at a time and and uh, enjoy moments and the frustrating moments. We try to kick aside and, and move forward. Absolutely. No, like we talked about last week, we're going to go in on UFC one. You know, we're also going to touch on a little bit UFC five, because you know what? We have someone who appeared on both, who has a unique take on both. I will start us off with just a question. How did it feel at UFC one? Did it feel like because you have been to some of the you have been involved in some of the biggest events some of the most populated events whether it be in Japan or the US how did it feel that first time stepping into the cage at UFC 1 Yeah it was different um you know I was over in Japan and I was having some very good success over there and it was mixed martial arts um you know open hand strikes but uh definitely uh, more focused with striking more focused with the ground skills um, so you had to be well-rounded, uh, but when the USC first came out, it was the no holes barred in HB, where there were no rules, there were no time limit, anything goes, supposedly, um, that, you know, it was different because you know, guys could kick each other in the head. When you're on the ground, you can hit them in the back of the head. I mean, it was literally a street fight. And so for me, being involved in... Uh, Japan and that could kind of the the mixed martial arts uh, fighting the this something that we didn't 
or I didn't understand of how this was even going to happen. And so my doubts going into the first one were, were all the way up until I'd actually defended my title um, over in Japan and then flew to Denver, Colorado three days before the event, four days before the event was supposed to happen and not thinking to myself that this is going to really happen. And leading all the way up to the fight, you're in your mind, you're going, there's no way this is going to happen. Like, they can't allow this. It's against any sanctioned body rules. So there's no way that this is really going to happen. So the whole time I'm agreeing to it with the idea that they're going to come to me and say, okay, this is how it's going to work. Um, but that never happened. In fact, it, 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 it came down to a press conference where they had uh, the fighters there. They had um, some media there, a very small amount. And they started to implement rules sort of like and I was I was kind of like I know Zane Frazier was the first I think was the first one to speak up because the rest of us were kind of like still trying to ponder the idea that this was still going to happen but they were telling us we couldn't wear certain things right like for instance um, they took away Zane's uh, shin guards um, and then they took away my wrestling shoes but yet they let um, uh, this boxer wear a glove and I was like well shin guards are kind of the same thing right I mean it's protecting the shin a glove protects the hand um, and then they took away my wrestling shoes saying it because it, it was a weapon and I was like what? yeah which I didn't know until after the fight was over that the gi was also a weapon yeah serious so I thought to myself really through that whole process. And now, of course, you know, after it's over and you look back on it, you're, you, you knew that there was a, you know, <laughs> a rooster in the hen house, right? So oh, yeah. it, it was, it was definitely disappointing, but I can remember going back and remembering the very first fight happening with uh, Gujarat Godot kicking, uh, I think it was the sumo Emmanuel Tui right awesome. in the right in the face I mean literally he hits him with the right hand he goes down walks over and then football kicks him and that's when you realize like this was special this was different and that this was really going to happen um, but like I said it wasn't till you know after you were into it for some time that you realized that um, you know that the Gracies were basically controlling the outcome of the rules and the settings of the rules and implementing different sets of rules, even time limits and all these other things to favor, um, you know, their their guy. So with that being said, you still can't take away the excitement of that first first one. It was unbelievable because the reality of literally somebody being able to kick a guy when he's down and just the bare knuckle aspect of it. It was just it was just it was a it was it was the adrenaline was through the roof. Yeah, it was it was just incredible to see that kick happen, and then uh, like Ken and I talked about earlier today, uh, we were speaking about how I mean this isn't the first time the Gracies have tried to set things in their favor or uh, done little cheat things here and there. I mean, my brother was uh, on Team uh, Hammerhouse when they fought Team Gracie, and they did a surprise. They did they threw a surprise weigh in the same day of the fight instead of it being on Friday. They did it on Friday, and then they made them weigh in on Saturday to make sure that Team Hammerhouse uh, guys were not as hydrated and not as plenished, and they also weren't 
one is heavy, of course. So it, it really uh, put a damper on them. So like Ken has said, and he's always been honest, he's never, ever not admitted to anything, you know, even on UFC one, he, he's, he's been the first one, like he's the one that told the ref, I fucking tap. Of course, he doesn't want to admit you. I don't know if anyone like a lot of these idiots, right? Ken or they've never even been choked or never done shit, right? But when you're an athlete and you, you know, and Ken was in the highest caliber, you're there, and and it was pretty fast, you know. It, it, that that match went so fast. Like I, when you're grappling with men and you're wrestling, it should happen so fast. And sometimes you get caught in something that you don't even want to admit that happened to you right at the, for for one fucking second. Of course, you're gonna be like, it's like playing paintball and being like, oh, I got shot, but I'm gonna wipe it off, and I'm I'm not hurt, but I'm not really dead, right? So. For people to be like, oh, Ken didn't admit it is, is, is the dumbest thing I've ever heard because it's the reason why the match stopped was because of Ken's honesty and integrity and the fact that he did fucking do it. It sucks than the fact that he had to say that, right? But as an athlete he uh, in, in a competitor, fuck no, he didn't want to fucking stop fighting right then. He still wanted to die today. He, he really, you know, it was so new. And I telling you, man, you, you watch UFC 5. And you watch Ken fucking absolutely manhandled. He always was in control. If nowadays they would have stood him up five times and Ken would have pummeled the dude into the ground, his face would have been smashed, it would have been over. But I know that's not the rules at that time. I know it, it's if, if, and that, and that. But the point is, is that, I mean, they, they make such a big deal about Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, but American wrestling, no holds bar fighting, and what Ken has been doing, and uh, the Team Hammerhouse, and Phil Baroni, and all the OGs have been here for a long time. They, they've been doing this, you know? It's disrespectful to think that the Brazilians came here and started some shit. Well, it's, it's I mean, when you look at the, the roots of the UFC, um, in the no holes barred into the mixed martial arts. It's, it was funny how uh, everybody wanted to um, compare the style of fighting to the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. And the reality of it is it's nothing like that because if you look at the way that the, the sport has evolved, it's evolved into what I basically was the first one to come on with, which was striking and grappling. I was the first one that was able to go in and do both. And I said it early on that in order to compete in this, as time goes, you're going to have to be good at both. You can't be good at just one because uh, the sport's going to evolve and people are going to be able to take you into deep waters uh, that you're not comfortable in, whether it be on your feet or whether it be on the ground. So you had to be well-versed in both. And uh, I was the first one to bring that in. My style uh, is what you see in that in the cage right now is the mixture of the striking and the grappling. And that's what I brought in. It wasn't Gracie bringing, Gracie didn't strike. So why is it that there people are out there saying that, you know, this is uh, the jiu-jitsu style that, that Gracie brought in? Because it isn't. It's the mixture of styles that I brought in with the leg locks, with the upper body arm bars and the chokes and the strikes, the knees, the leg kicks, the Muay Thai that I took to be able to do the mixture in with grappling, which is, I believe, was the best mixture for this type of fighting was Muay Thai. And so therefore I brought that in, 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 in the very first UFC. So it's funny how people want to kind of um, lean towards what they feel their favorite uh, style is to make them f feel like, well, we're the ones that created this. And the reality of it is just look at it, break it down. Who came in that was well-versed? Me. What do they do right now? Well-versed. So, I mean, come on now, let's just call a spade a spade. 
Yeah, no, seriously, man. I mean, I was talking about, I mean, going back and watch the original UFCs, who's the original leg lock king? Who's the one Who's the one pulling off those submissions before anyone? I mean, Ken Shamrock pulled them off before almost anyone in, in the octagon, right? I First mean, ever it, heel hook in the UFC, Ken it, Shamrock. It, it's so, so impressive. They didn't even know what to call it when he was doing it. It just, not only just brute strength, but also the fact that he knew what he was doing, you know? And it, it's it's pretty impressive that decades before everyone, that you were so far advanced and ahead of them. I mean, uh, and, and it is what it is. I mean, if if you can go back, take off Gracie's gi and then see what happens. <laughs> right. Yeah. They don't want to or, see that. Or, or just let me have my shoes on. If I oh. had my shoes on, it's a different game. Well, we're American wrestler, bro. We were, it's like we're born with those shoes on, right? Right. So th- those ASICs are fucking our best friends, right? Like it, like PF Flyers for the Benny Rodriguez on the Sandlot. I mean, Ken Shamrock needs his ASIC shoes, but I'll let Bob get in on it because I'm going to ranting. <laughs> no worries. Um, like I said, it's like you got the very first heel hook, ankle lock, any type of thing in the UFC. I believe I, I rewatched today. I believe they called it an Achilles hold. But uh, so you obviously set the record with that. And like you said, you were the first all around person to do anything like that in the UFC. If you had your shoes, it would have been also a big difference. How did you feel like how mentally I guess mentally taxing is that first of all, like you said, not sure that. This is going to happen for sure, even like three days out to before, the, before the press conference. Then it finally starts happening. And then you, you saw uh, Taylor Tooley getting uh, knocked to the ground and then kicked while down, uh, allegedly a tooth getting knocked out, them going on and on about it on the broadcast. And then not only you going right in and completely dominating with a heel hook within the first minute, but then knowing you have to go back and bounce back and come out within 15 minutes of that. How emotionally nerve-wracking is that? Well, it wasn't. I mean, um, you know, especially being a fighter, and I had success over in Japan, and I was—I uh, learned really quick. You know, I've, I basically had two and a half years of experience fighting. I mean, grappling. So my my experience was was very little compared to you know horses and their family, but I still felt like nobody could beat me. I just felt that good. I felt like I had learned so much in a short amount of time that I could beat anybody. And when they took the shoes away, um, because of my mindset, um, I wouldn't let anything get in the way of my confidence. Uh, they could have probably they could have tied one hand behind my back, <laughs> and I still would have thought I could win. Okay, I'll still do it um, because for me, my mindset was that you can't keep me from winning. You, no matter what you throw at me or try to do to me, I'll find a way to win. Um, unfortunately, that's also a downfall because uh, sometimes you, you you know you need to be a little bit realistic, and I wasn't that. I wasn't realistic when it when it came to Hoist. You know, the guy had 27 years of experience in in grappling. Uh, he had 50 years of experience behind his family. They set it up. They set the rules. They they did everything uh, to make sure that he had had the best chance of winning. Even positioning how the fights were set up that I would come back. Uh, right away after my first fight against Patrick Smith, which was probably one of the tougher guys in that tournament, and come right out and fight a, fight Hoist, which we knew fighting Art Jimerson with one boxing glove on that he wouldn't sustain any damage, he wouldn't have a hard a hard match at all, and that I would have to come right back out with no rest and have to fight Hoist again. So everything that they did to position themselves to win, um, you know, was definitely put into play. Uh, taking the shoes away, which is something I never experienced 
I've I've never experienced not having wrestling shoes on. Uh, going in on a canvas uh, with that with that the kind of surface they had in there. I kid you not. I didn't realize that until I was fighting Pat and I went to take him down. You see me slipping all over the place trying to get him to the ground when I shot in for a double leg. I was literally having a hard time taking him down. And when I did get him down, I was slipping on the mat trying to get my footing. So going in and fighting Hoist, I blocked it out. I just said, I'm going to go in and shoot, and then we'll just skate together. We'll see where it ends up. And, of course, I ended up into, into a choke with the gi, not having an understanding of how that worked either. Um, so it was definitely some ignorance on my part of not really looking at what they were doing and preparing to fight back uh, because everything we were told going into that thing was that this is supposed to be no holes barred, anything goes. And then they started taking things away from people. They started adding things like one glove for Art Jimerson because he was fighting hoist. They didn't want him to get cut, so they put one glove on Art. Um, so it was just, like I said, it was really, now that you look back on it, you can kind of see how it all played out. Um, and it was a marketing tool for the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu stuff, which was <laughs> genius because you look at their schools now, man, they're everywhere. They're making lots of money on them. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, you know, you, uh, I can't blame them for trying and, and doing what they did. Uh, I had an opportunity to step up and say no, and I didn't. I went ahead and said, whatever, I'll still do it. Um, so, but, I, but like I said, I, I was able to go in the second time and be able to get after them a little bit. Um, even with that, there was a time limit put in, uh, which took away the opportunity for me to go in and really wear them out, beat them down, and, and, uh, and do what I set out to do, which was be the best conditioned athlete and also show them that the submission skills and my, my skill sets were much better than theirs. Um, and that didn't happen because of the time that played into that. I wasn't able to have the time I needed to be able to wear him down and to get him to drop his legs so that I could submit him the way I wanted to submit him. Um, but it is what it is. I thought I did enough to be able to show people that even with two and a half years of experience as opposed to 27 years and 50 years behind with his family, that they still couldn't handle me. And I was just getting started. I mean, I was just starting to learn. Um, so um, then I went and fought him the third time. Uh, anybody that saw that was, was very disappointing, knowing that the guy that was refereeing the thing is a jiu-jitsu practitioner. I think he's a black belt, brown belt, whatever he is. Um, and he was refereeing our match. Um, and then the low blow, which was obvious to everyone in the building that he hit me with a low blow and I should have had time to recover so we could go back at it, which is what I thought was happening until he raised both of our hands. I don't, I'm not sure what that was. Uh, I, I didn't even, I wasn't cause I couldn't hear the, what was being said. And then to come to find out that I lost the, that I lost. And I was like, well, where's my five minutes? Like, where's my opportunity to fight? And I was literally completely taken off when all that happened because I, in the ring, I couldn't really hear what was being said. And uh, next thing I know, I'm standing there with a loss. And I was like, well, how did that happen? Yeah, that, that, that's just crazy. And we were oh, also talking about USC 5. Um, you, you didn't even, I mean, it was supposed to be, what, 30 minutes flat. It ends up being 3109 because they decide to let it stretch that far because they pray to God that Hoist does something. And then, oh, what, oh, who's, you said, Horion Gracie ran out from the crowd and screamed five more minutes, who? Yeah, he said five more minutes, five more minutes. And I said, yes, let's do it, because I was yeah. fresh, I was ready to go. And 
his That's corner what he cracked turned him. and looked at him and said, no, what are you doing? And he said five more. And so we went at it. And that's when I was able to start really putting some damage on him because I was in much better shape and definitely a much better um, situation than he was because I trained for a three-hour fight. And I was yeah, ready to you you could you could tell that you were superiorly conditioned compared to him and that you were i mean you look what you did to his eye and then you were you were also from the punch and then you also were headbutting him into it yeah you know so hey listen i prepared for a three-hour fight i was ready to go and like how motivating was it or like how much energy did it give you to see uh guy mezger one of your training partners there at the lions then get his win earlier on that night being able to fight on the same card his, his second ufc win Oh, that was awesome. Um, yeah, anytime you get your guys in there and you're training with them and to be able to see them go in there and actually get that win, man, it's, it's a, it, there, I don't know how to explain it, but when you were fighting in that cage, it was different than boxing. It was different than wrestling. It, I mean, it was, it's just a different thought process when you walk into that cage and you come out the victor because it was literally no holes barred, anything goes bare knuckle and you walk in there and you get a win man that is something that you can truly cherish when you come back home i mean you are truly a badass so which is a bigger high for you do you think the the because you've had so many big wins in ufc uh pride just all over the map uh one of those wins or seeing a guy that you trained like from the beginning get a win no when i'm winning man um it's it's a there's a journey right i'm focused on stuff so you don't allow yourself to get high and low on that. Yeah, you win and you're excited you got the win, but then it's now it's time to get locked onto something else. So the enjoyment factor isn't like when you see somebody else win, you can get as high as you want to get, right? Because there's no letdown because they're the ones that have to go back out and do it again. So for me, my highs were very high for the guys that were winning. But at the same time, I also ex I expected more from them too. Like it wasn't, I didn't want them to go in there and win and thought that that was it. Like, okay, you did it. I wanted to know, hey, that was exciting, man. You won, we're excited, but it's over now. Now we gotta start getting to something else. Like, you can't stop here. You gotta keep going. You gotta get to that, that elite level where everybody's chanting your name. Everybody knows that you're the best. And you can't stop with one win or two wins or three wins, man. It doesn't stop till you get to the top. And then, then you may take a moment to cherish that until then though it's all about work and getting there yeah and i think that was all that was my brother's biggest issue uh being you know he he could never be pushed as hard as ken shamrock uh, wanted to push always at all moments because he never had it my dad died when i was nine my brother was 13 he was super misguided and he needed a, a someone like ken shamrock to help discipline him and teach him that he's not the the it around there always you know and so ken was a big factor in my brother uh you know being as good as he was and as as tough too because uh ken shamrock was lay, laying out ass whoopings for all the lines then officials anybody won you know you, just to be in the lines then you're getting your ass whooped man i mean by by savages dude i mean even like the the weakest dudes there are, are just straight monsters man 
And so uh, I, I think that Ken's level is so extreme and he did push himself so hard that even like, like I said, someone like my brother who wasn't used to the level that Ken even pushes, he, he could never push the way Ken wanted him to always because then he'd have to be responsible and accountable for his actions and all these things. And Ken Shamrock, you know, that's where, uh, you know, thankfully he was adopted and had a great, uh, you know, upbringing in the sense of he was taught to, to work hard and to that you don't just do drugs. You don't just get to do all these things and be and everything's you and blah, blah, blah. You're not the it always, you know, and you got to keep training and keep working hard and get yourself off of uh, running your mouth always, you know, because you need to you run your mouth in the gym. Yeah, it's it, it. There's, listen. I mean, I understand it too. I do because I was there. Um, and it's okay to go ahead and let your hair down every now and then. Go out there and stretch your legs and you know have some fun. Even cross the line a couple times because that's just how we're built. We're rebels. We're wild. And to be able to stay within the lines all the time is just not something that I don't believe God made us made us that way. We're we're, we're going to to sometimes mess up and and go over. But the idea to know that you messed up, the idea to know that you need to get back to where you were supposed to be and do things right, I think that's the difference between um, a lot of guys who have the ability to be great and the ability to turn their lives around is that when they do mess up, they know it and they got to get it back as opposed to some that do it and they say, well, I've made it so it doesn't matter now. I can go ahead and keep going over the line. And, uh, you know, you look at a lot of guys doing it right now. Um, in the end, they're going to end up broke. They're going to end up with nobody around them. And life is not going to be the way that they're used, for, used to it being because no one's really taught them how to use the discipline to be able to get themselves back into line and stay there. It's okay to mess up every now and then, man, but don't allow it to be something that's going to be common. So what what are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, if you care to just uh, uh, talk about it on John Jones being so athletic and just he's he's such an amazing athlete, but he seems to be very similar to my brother in the sense of he's going to probably end up in a jail cell next to my brother and, and kill a lot of people if he keeps up the way that he is. You know, it's like he, he's, he's definitely championship material, definitely championship quality, but his actions aren't in the, in the way that he does things aren't, you know, and uh, even you, you know, like I said, you've had some fun and stuff and, and you, you have great times. But I mean, dude, this guy's amazing athlete. He's just ruining himself. So like, what, what do you think of uh, that? What do you what do you think when you see that type of athlete just self imploding? Well, the first thing that I feel is a disappointment is I think that there's a responsibility towards organizations um, this being the UFC to hold guys accountable because even with myself uh, where I messed up um, my father held me accountable even when I messed up even though I was a celebrity and superstar he would force me to be accountable for what I was doing he didn't let me just get away with it and then slap me on the hand and say behave and then go ahead and go be a star because um, you're famous, so I'm going to let you do what you want to do. Uh, he was always pushing me. He was always making sure that I understood what I was doing was wrong. And no matter how big you get, um, those uh, actions are going to hurt you. You need to stop. Um, and I think that that's not what's happening with, with a lot of these guys like Jones, whereas that their dad, his dad, is trying to hold him accountable. But the people involved in the UFC keep giving him title fights. 
they keep coming back and allowing him to be John Jones uh, in the ring because when he's fighting, he's tremendous. When he's in the UFC, he's tremendous. But when he's away from the UFC and he's away from all that, that's when he's getting himself into trouble. So why wouldn't the organization go, Jones, man, we love you. We think you're a tremendous asset to our company. But you're, if you keep doing this and we allow you to keep doing this, then, you know, 10 years down the road, you're going to be dead or you're going to be in prison for killing somebody um, because you don't know how to, you know, maintain yourself outside of these walls, the outside of these fences and cages. Um, you're getting yourself into trouble and not just little trouble, but big trouble where you're jeopardizing your life and other people's lives. And therefore, there should be some consequences that cause him to really understand that it all can be taken away if he doesn't change himself and make sure that he's going in the right direction. I think that to me, that's where the shame is, is that there's not a support system there like the UFC to support his father that is trying to change his kid's life and allow him to keep doing what he's doing and making lots of money and continuing down that path when all of that should be taken away and say, you're going to earn that. you got to earn it back. We, we love you. And the reason why we're doing this is because we love you. We think you're a tremendous athlete. But if we do not stop you right now, in 10 years, you're going to be dead or you're going to be in prison doing life. So we don't want to see that. We don't want to see a Mike Tyson happen again. Mike Tyson is a tremendous guy, but no one taught him. So I don't want to see this happen to him. I want to see him get his life together. I want to see him do well because I think he's a great champion. And I hate seeing him make these mistakes. And then when he does, there's no there's no support system to help him change. Yeah, those are great points. The great points that you brought up, and I mean, uh, just real real deal stuff. It just you you definitely need a great support system around you at that high high level. All right, so Ken, so you got a you got a book coming out. Is that correct? Are you in full control of that, or is that something that you are? Um, that they have just you inputting some things well the book is about me um but because i wanted to be a uh, about me and my life story i didn't want it me just talking about me and the things that happened to me so jonathan snowden um who uh works as a writer i know he does stuff for aew i know he does stuff for bleacher report um he's a pretty good writer he's writing my book and one of the things I wanted was something different. I didn't want people to, to read a book that was basically, you know, um, me saying what I went through. I wanted it to be about what other people said about me, along with my input of my life, and then having 100 or 100 plus people that had been with me throughout my life that would also tell stories about the different things that I had went through. So you had a better, a clearer picture of of who I was and, and the things that I went through without me just being the one telling you what I went through because I could tell you whatever I want to tell you <laughs> of and course. If there's if there's no supporting stories to it then it doesn't really matter which you hear a lot of people that do their their books and they throw people under the bus about them using drugs or them doing this and it's like they, but they've got no supporting witnesses it's just them saying it so this way it's basically them telling my story through about a hundred or plus different people's eyes, along with me talking about how some of the things I went through as a kid. So I'm excited. It's supposed to come out in August. I'm excited to see, 
you know, how it comes out. It's going to be a lot of stuff I'm not going to be comfortable with, <laughs> but it's going to be a lot of stuff that I am comfortable with. But in the end, it, it's true. It's reality. I don't know what's in it. Um, I don't know if there, if he interviewed people that, you know, had issues with me. I don't know. Well, man, it's been an absolute pleasure to have uh, Ken Shamrock here, the, the godfather of No Holds Bar fighting, the legend himself, uh, pretty much a father figure to my big bro and uh, everyone around us. And uh, I can't thank him enough for taking the time to come out uh, on the podcast. We had a couple of technical difficulties and he pushed through. I can't thank him enough. And he'll have uh, he'll be on again to talk about uh, Valor uh, fighting and all of his other endeavors, especially his book that's going to come out and uh, he'll touch subjects on that. So thank you so much, Ken for coming on the podcast and uh i just hope all you fans enjoyed uh listening to our questions with the godfather himself and uh just rate review subscribe the podcast and let's roll mm-hmm.